Hello, welcome to the Orc Labs podcast. I'm Tom, and as always, I'm here with Stephen. Hey. And Matt. Hi. So, Steve, I understand we have a listener question today? Two of them, actually. Two. All right. Yep. So, one is uh, from Jeff, and uh, he wanted to know, how do you handle, uh, from the DM side, uh, wh what to do with your party when they get to town and they want to split up and do different things? So, like, some people want to go to the tavern, other people want to go shop for armor, mm -hmm. right, that kind of thing? Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think actually there's, there's a really good example of this. Um, if any of you are current readers of uh, Order of the Stick, um, spoiler alert, um, Rich Burlew has his party of adventurers go into town and they split up. Yep. Um, and he very, very um, successfully illustrates one of the things that you can do, which is to put the party in peril when they split up. Make, <laughs> make, make, make them pay for it. If, if they're going to waste your time going around doing all these laborious boring errands make them make them pay for it make something bad happen but isn't that part of a good story <laughs> you know haggling well, with merchants and well how else I, are they supposed to i mean if you go to town and i want a new sword like yeah don't i have to go buy it well i i, I think it actually it's it's pretty easy to gloss over that kind of stuff and mm -hmm. to do it in a way that makes the player feel like they're participating so you know they can they can roll for you know the haggle price without actually having that dialogue because you know dms have better things to do than they play the shopkeeper if if you want to do it go for it you know mm -hmm. that that's great you know get more rp um and if, if if the rest of the party isn't bored out of their minds and you know are you know playing with uh sudoku or you know, <laughs> pull, pulling out their iphones and you know checking their email then yeah okay go for it but if if you really want to um you know provide a good experience um, when the party decides that it absolutely wants to split up and absolutely wants to know every single detail of what happens, make it something interesting. Make it, you know, present combat. Maybe someone tries to kidnap a party member. Maybe they witness a crime. Yeah. Oh, um, maybe they get stopped, stopped by the town watch because they're, you know, because of racial profiling or something. Yeah. I mean, if you're <laughs> a half orc in an elven town, yeah. then that, that could happen. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. <clears throat> And everybody always wants to just pick some race, you know, for min-maxing purposes. And oh yeah, I'm gonna be a dragonborn for with the you know blue dragonborn. So I have a lightning breath weapon. That way, even though I'm a tempest cleric, you know, I can maximize my breath weapon. But then you're still a dragonborn. So if you just walk into like some little hobbit town, they might you know kind of stare <laughs> at you a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and and think of it this way: like if your if your party is going to say like a, a town in the underdark. Um, they probably would all stick together. They would be afraid. They would think, okay, you know, guys, I would be. we can't split up. You know, if we do, whoever, whoever goes off by themselves, probably never going to see them again. So let, let's not do that. Let, let's all stay together. If some, some drow jerks show up and, you know, start murdering people, we, we don't want to be the ones to get murdered. Yeah. Um, so trying, trying to convey that, that maybe not that level of danger, mm -hmm. but something on the same scale in even, even a relatively peaceful setting. You know, something where, you know, they might get in trouble with the law because they don't know local ordinance. And, you know, if, if they actually want to be law-abiding citizens... That's definitely how to make your game interesting. Introduce bureaucracy. Well, <laughs> I don't know. Just, just, no, it's a good example. Just pre present annoyances to them if they don't have the whole party together to, like, kind of have a, you know, meeting of minds and, and figuring out, like, okay, you know, let's, let's be careful. Let's, you know... It, it, so... Having say like um, designated party roles, like the the one who, who negotiates with people versus the one who like knows stuff like about the area, or say you know someone who you know has has a friend in the area, um, you know, 
having all those party members together is what makes a team successful. I agree. I actually, I'm a big fan of pickpockets um, because very often the party member will have uh, objects of high economic density. So, you know, a magical ring worth 28,000 gold pieces is way more valuable than, you know, your purse with a hundred platinum pieces in it. Um, Mm -hmm. And it might even be easier to steal. So, you know, at least in, in like three, five and Pathfinder, um, you would have a situation where if something happens in front of all of the party, then each one gets to make a spot roll. Right. And, you know, you could have, a, you know, a, one person roll a 20, is, you know, and just see the pickpocket. And it's much more likely that that'll happen if you have six people rolling than if you just have one. Um, and so one of the things is, uh, you know, they've, they've done studies of human psychology and people are much more upset when they lose X value then they are happy when they gain X value. Mm-hmm. People are extremely loss averse. Mm-hmm. And like I, I learned this firsthand in you know a campaign with some of you guys where I stole stuff from you and you guys were so mad. You guys were <laughs> so mad. We also feel wrong, you know? It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it definitely is a way to motivate uh, players even more so than just necessarily having them be attacked because they get attacked all the time. They're adventurers, right, you know? Right. Um, but then you have these guys who are by, you know, standard medieval you know, standards, they are extremely wealthy. You know, you're coming in here with, with a whole kingdom's worth of magical items and armor and yeah. cloaks made by, you know, Fae and like, you know, yeah. and a sword from a dragon's horde. And I mean, you've got all this stuff and you know, people are going to want to take your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and and yeah. people who are desperate and poor and down on their luck and, you know, they might just be desperate enough to try it. Right, so if, if the big dumb you know fighter goes off by himself, and he's like, "Oh, I don't need the rogue skill monkey. Uh, I'm just in town." Right, right. Make, make, One of his skills him, is spot. Make him pay for that mistake. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm of two minds about this whole topic because I do want the worlds that I present to my players to be very well fleshed out, and I want them to feel real. And that means if you pick up a rock, you don't just see, you know, a blank void in the universe under it. You see, you know, dirt and worms and other stuff and it should be the same when you go to a shop um you know maybe it's a a rude you know blustery dwarf who doesn't have time to talk to you you know you pointy-eared jerk but you know it just there should be texture to the world um and it's not all about just combat and you know the main story arc there should be details there should be flavor but i've also seen you know on the other hand um i have seen very very boring sessions where people are just playing on their smartphones and Oh God! Are you done haggling for your sword yet? God! Yeah, I think I think certain chores can be abstracted when the party goes to town. It's like yeah. okay, everyone, you know, you can do five hours worth of stuff, and then yeah. convene. And then people are like, okay, I went to the store, I bought this stuff, and or I sold this, I got us a room at the inn, and, mm-hmm. and you know, um, maybe yeah. one person goes off and gets some information from someone, and then you kind of pick up when the party gets back together, and you just kind of abstract all the. Yeah, and, and, I, and I think what you're hitting on there is that you want to put the burden of storytelling in that case on the player, um, mm-hmm. make them tell you what's going on instead of having to come up with all of the stuff um, yeah. for, for them yourself, especially if it's abstract and there, there aren't very many details, mm-hmm. it's sketchy at best. You know, all the important things that are, ha- that are happening are going to be on the player's end, so you want them yeah. telling you what's happening. And I think it probably works best if it's if it's a town <laughs> or city that the players are familiar with and have been to before. Yeah, of a base sure. of operations. Not when they walk into like a new town. Right. I agree yeah. there wholeheartedly. Um, that said, I think it can be important. Uh, I mean, you have to feel these situations out. You can't just, you know, always, you know, describe everything in detail if you notice that your players are getting bored. And you can't always gloss over everything if, you know, it's robbing the, the color from your 
your your storytelling. Um, I do occasionally like to throw in some red herrings so that you know you describe something mundane and boring and waste everybody's time so that the next time when you describe something and it's really significant but it's like a clue that they need to pick up on, it shouldn't be that obvious because wait a minute. The DM's explaining, you know, the the yeah. shape of that cabinet. I bet there's a trap door under it, and it, like you shouldn't just be tipping them off every time you take your time to describe yeah. something. So right. you do have to throw in a couple of red herrings as misdirection. It shouldn't be always. It shouldn't be all the time. You don't want to waste tons and tons of sessions, but but you do have to occasionally. But enough that. so that every time you do describe something, the players aren't immediately suspicious. Right. Yeah. Like I I remember once I made you guys roll like spot checks, and then somebody rolled high, and I was like, you notice a squirrel. Like he's he's chewing on a nut. And you're like that's it, <laughs> yeah. and it was just to mess with people so that every time I made them roll spot checks, they wouldn't immediately be like, "Oh my god, it's an ambush." Right. Well, I'm a fan yeah. of the DM secretly rolling spot checks. Well, yeah, yeah this and, isn't the and, first campaign yeah. I ran. That's a much better way to handle it. Is just you do it because and don't even tell if them. the players roll, like you know if you rolled well or not. So right. yeah, <laughs> well, and, and five E has the workaround for that, which is yeah. passive. Um, right. Right. Uh, Perception check. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. but of course you can't even say, "Hey, uh, Tom, what's your passive perception?" Uh oh. Right. Well, that, the DM's got to keep track. That, right. That, yeah. That's something that you record at the beginning of the session. You you, you don't ask them, you know, mid flow. Like, no. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like I've had a DM who who definitely does that, and he's uh. like, "What's uh, what's everybody's passive perception?" He's like, "Oh crap. <laughs> Are we about to be eaten alive by a blue dragon?" Oh, I'm sorry. It was a white dragon. I, I failed my perception check. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's a combination of all these things. You have to sort of read the terrain, and there is no one size fits all answer to that yeah. question. But what if the party wants to split up and pursue sort of two different story arcs in the town? Um, you could even you know, I, I I would say you could even divide up the session. Um, tell tell some people to go home and then <laughs> have them have them come early the next time. And mm-hmm. wrap up whatever they're doing, and then you know reunite the party after that. I suppose you. I mean that you could do that. I don't really think that's the most elegant solution. It isn't. Um, you know, I mean, let's face it. You know, you, you guys are here to hang out with your friends. At the end of the day, we all want to hang out together and have a good time. And if I'm like, all right, well, Tom, Matt, go home. No, no, seriously, get out. Then <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, what the heck, man. Um, plus, there's no way to know for sure exactly how long a certain arc is going to take. You could do that, but that's definitely the brute force approach. I think a lot of it is actually on the players to know, like, we should figure out a way that we, you know, follow the story and stick together. Yeah. yeah. And, you you know, they, you should make them yeah. have to have a debate about what to do and what the priorities are. You know, whether it's choosing, you know, which thing to do at all or just what order to do them. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I think it's like as you're saying with like the perception checks, it's a matter of training to like how how many times say does something bad have to happen when they split up before they yeah. figure out oh we stick together. Yeah, that's and that's another perfectly good thing. After they figure that out, maybe bad things don't happen anymore because now now they're all sticking together and all right. you can just assume oh they'll spot the thief, so you know people stay away from that mm. large group of dangerous looking people. Yeah, but if it's just one or two, well then prepare to get flanked by a lot of rogues. Yep. <laughs> no, seriously. I mean, if you if you're like you know a ba- highwayman, you know a bandit, are you gonna go for the party of six you know just terrible sociopathic looking adventurers? If I have twenty bandits. Yeah, but what if you only had ten or eight? Yeah. Well, but what if there's two adventurers? <laughs> oh man, they look like they have some shiny loot. And even consider like if if your if your campaign setting has say a thieves guild, they might be. 
following the party's movements, might be figuring out when would be the best time to, you know, grab some of that cool loot that those guys have been grabbing from, that, from all these monsters. That's true. And I think this is, um, so I don't know, maybe I'm projecting here, maybe, um, but something that a lot of DMs don't do, but would be very well justified in doing. Um, and this is probably just me projecting because I don't do this that much. But once you get up into like even the mid levels, you're a big deal. You know, you're not just some anonymous stranger in town. It's like, oh my god, I think that's, you know, the blue bard or the, you know, like people know of your exploits. I mean, you are a big deal. You can slay dragons. You can, you know, upset the balance of power in kingdoms. You're, you know, you do quests for, you know, great wizards and old sages. And I mean, you're, you're a major player in world events. So it wouldn't be, you know, implausible at all for a thieves guild to be tracking you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean. Big important people in the real world have bodyguards and stuff, and you know there's paparazzi all over the place when they show up at places. So you might attract something of a similar following. No, that makes sense. That makes and sense. so it's it's not. Yeah, people shouldn't just expect that. Oh, we look like any other travelers. Yeah, but no, you don't. But, <laughs> but yeah, but people know who you are, and like right. people talk. Yeah. You know, and there's magic, so like sending and you know all that stuff. Yeah. So. Well, that's not to say that it's never appropriate for the party to split. Sometimes for the story in specific situations, it might make sense. But as long as the DM is prepared for it, I think it will go more smoothly. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I do really like the idea of just punishing them mercilessly. Yeah. For well, they get to town and then they all split up to do their own thing and then you have to like individually role play for shopkeepers. Yeah, that's don't do that. Well, yeah, no, but I mean, by the time you get to the second shopkeeper, somebody should be, yeah. you know, in a dark basement with a bag over their head right, and being right. held <laughs> ransom. Yeah, I'm just saying. I, I think it was actually a one shot that I ran one time where the first half of the entire adventure was just people messing around in town, oh. buying their initial starting gear. Yeah, that happens. Yeah, that oh. happens. All right, so definitely murder one of them so that the rest of them finish their, well, their shopping fast. Yeah, <laughs> there, 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 there was a loophole with that though. I mean, they they had a way of coming back to life. It was complicated. No. Okay. <laughs> it, was, it was a poor choice on my part. I should have given that to them after they left town. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, okay, what was, what what was the, the what other was question? The next question. Um, so that was Jeff's question, right? I think this, the next right. one is Tim's. Tim. And uh, he had had a question. He has a, a character he's playing in a campaign. I think they're around level six. And he wanted to be the party's tank. Um, so we've, we've talked in these podcasts a lot about uh, ways to do damage, ways to crowd control ways to cover your skills or have the broadest spell selection but we haven't really talked about that most pivotal of combat roles the tank All right so mm -hmm. the tank's job um once again to cite my uh, my mentor trant monk um the, the tank is also known as the big stupid fighter is the guy who actively wants to be the target of enemy attacks uh, and this is to protect the other specialized people in your group <clears throat> so there's a number of different ways to go about doing this in in fifth edition now obviously there's the barbarian they have um that rage damage resistance mm. applies to all weapon attacks and then if you choose the right specialization all other damage types with the exception of psychic mm -hmm. um rogues actually can make a surprisingly good tank under the right circumstances because dodginess yeah uncanny dodge it's it makes you take half damage from one attack per round you have to give up your reaction to do it and if you get swarmed you're in trouble but yeah um but at least on single combat with like a huh. big bad evil guy it can provide quite a, a good amount of protection. I assume druids. I was building up to that. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, you know, fighters, they have their second wind. They can wear the best armor. They can take the defense style. Big hit die. They're a pretty obvious choice mm -hmm. as well. 
Um, Paladins have auras? Paladins have auras. They have quite a number of defenses. Um, I think the Oath of the Ancients at level 7, they get, what is it, like Eldritch Ward or something? Yeah, half damage from uh, damaging spells. And don't they also get resistance, oh, wow. or am I mixing that up with the Abjurer? Um, the, on the, or advantage think, on saving throws, I mean. I think that's, that's Abjurer. Okay, yeah. But they definitely have resistance on all damage from spells, which is... Right. That's insane. Yeah, and, it's and, and they, get the, they get the standard Paladin um, aura, which is um, plus charisma to, to all saves yeah. to themselves and everyone in, in the aura area. Yeah, so they're also a pretty natural choice. And just like the fighter, they have uh, you know the best armor, access to the defense style, um, big hit die, and they have lay on hands. So... They can heal themselves even without using up their precious spell slots. Yeah. Okay, so all the people you would expect to be good tanks can serve as pretty good tanks. And yes, the uh, the elephant in the room is... Uh, <laughs> sorry, I jumped the gun. No, it, it's okay. Um, but yeah, the 800-pound gorilla is the druid who can, if he wants, turn into an 800-pound gorilla. Repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. So every short rest, they get two uses of wild shape. The wild shape imbues them with all of the hit points of the animal they're turning into, um, which is just absurd. So yeah, yes, and it's, it's not it's not that you know um, over over on top of his hit points. It's instead of his hit points mm-hmm. while he's in that form. Yeah, and once he loses his hit points, he's back to his his old shape. Well, to be fair though, I mean, if they take overkill damage, that overflow does yeah. spill yeah. onto his regular hit points. Um, but so typically the druid will have uh, a lower chance to hit than a specialized melee fighter. Um, or and a lower armor class in exchange for all these tremendous powers, uh, but there's ways of improving that. And um, so there's one that recently came to my attention. I actually was not aware of this. Um, apparently, natural weapons aren't really a thing anymore. I mean, you, there are still claws and bites and tail slaps and um, all these types of attacks. But if you look in the monster manual, uh, under each individual attack's description, it'll say something like a bite, melee weapon attack. Now, keywords are extremely important in, in D&D, um, and it has important consequences for what abilities will stack or scale with things. So uh, we re- recently talked about how um, the monk's unarmed strike counts as a weapon attack mm-hmm. and is thus you know, a valid target to attach all manner of things, from the paladin spell elemental weapon to smiting to sneak attack, all kinds of things. Uh, can be paired with this because of that wording. And apparently, Paladin Smiting does work with a direwolf's bite if you <laughs> somehow manage to be a direwolf and have access to the smite power. Um, so this is really interesting because the Paladin gets access to smite at second level, very early. Um, and then normally it scales based on what level of spell slot you have access to, which means it scales very slowly if you're just a single-class Paladin. Um, they only get half progression. And so it, it doesn't really get mind-blowing until much later in the game. The Druid, on the other hand, has a much more rapid full caster progression and this uh, tremendous uh, defensive benefit of turning into an animal with a whole new set of hit points. So if you dip two levels of Paladin and then you go into Druid, preferably Moon Druid, um, then you can turn into a bear and you can sacrifice your high-level spell slots from Druid to Smite, and you can Smite hard. Right. Now, it should be noted that the highest level spell slot you can sacrifice for Smite, uh, or at least the most benefit you can gain from it, is, what is it, 4th level spells? I think it starts out at 2d8. And well, you can sacrifice higher level, but you, you, only, you only get the benefit of a 4th level spell slot. Right. Um, but Druids get up to there pretty rapidly, and their shapeshifting also improves. So, yeah. you know, yes, it does make you a little bit multi- more multi-attribute dependent, 
in that um, you need to have 13 strength and 13 charisma in order to even... But you can dump your physical scores with no repercussions whatsoever, really. Unless I don't know that I would say you're, none you're, whatsoever right, because right. you're not always wild shaped. If you're if you're caught out of your animal form, then yes, it's a problem. Like but... what, what if you go to town and then you want to go shopping for a new sword and the rest of your party <laughs> wants to go do something else? You know? <laughs> and you're 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 dumb. <laughs> <laughs> well, you probably are since you dumped it. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So your real only priority is uh, wisdom, and then you just need enough strength and charisma to qualify to multi-class into paladin. Um, and then yeah, you're you're good to go. Um, your spell progression is going to be excellent. Your wild shape progression is going to be excellent. Um, you're going to be able to inflate your casting stat without even worrying about your constitution because your constitution is replaced by the beasts. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't even help you really to turn into you know, to boost your constitution the way every other class benefits from it. Um, so it's a pretty solid option. I mean, Moon Druid is, is very, very strong right out of the gate. But if you combine it with the smite ability, then you have a tremendous option for doing damage. Uh, it doesn't require feats. It doesn't require heavy stat investment. It's just, you know, two class features, and then you just coast. I mean, there's lots so, of ways to make it stronger. But what were you gonna say? I was gonna say, so, so, so your feeling is that um, it's better to not just be a tank and attract attention to yourself, but also have damage output. Well, yeah. I mean, one of the things we've been seeing more and more um, on, you know, reviewing this version of the game is that crowd control is harder to pull off. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the time, damage per round is the most important thing for for anything in, in combat, at least. Um, and you know, tanking is a a temporary solution. You're never going to get the kind of armor class where you just can't be hit except on a natural twenty, right. and you're effectively never going to get critted. They've gotten rid of confirmation rolls, so now a natural twenty will crit you. Yeah, always. Um, and They've also gotten rid of ridiculously high armor scaling, so you're just not going to get to the point where you can stand in front of a monster all day and just never take damage. All right, you Similarly, you can't inflate your saving throws to ridiculous proportions, so you can't just be in invincible. So even though you have all those extra temporary hit points, they only last so long. So you do still want to keep those combats short, and you know, killing your enemy quickly is the best way to do that. Um, you can't disable them as easily without killing them, so yeah, pile on the damage. Um, you know, being a bear is not as good as being a fighter, except that you have a bunch of extra hit points. That's sort of their saving grace. Yeah. I mean, it's very powerful, but there being are limits too. A, a bear paladin is a great idea. Oh, Sorry. we got a phone ringing. Sorry about that. But uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, so yeah, so I think that's just a terrific option. You know, one of the most powerful um, things in the game is a level twenty moon druid. But let's be honest, how often do you really get up to level sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty? Yeah. It, it, when was the last time that happened in a game you were in? It's it's theory crafting, really. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, it's fun to think about it and to imagine the possibilities, but it it really doesn't come up that often. So giving up arch druid at level twenty. Isn't really a giving Worry anything up. Worry about that when you get to level 20. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> most of the campaigns that I play in start somewhere between like 1 and 5, and most of them end before I get to level 10, because real life gets in the way. So you don't really need to stress out about giving up those immensely broken, super powerful abilities, because you'll never get them anyway. Yeah. It's, it's not even a real sacrifice. Um, but two levels of druid and two levels of paladin will let you be a smiting bear. 
<laughs> so, or or if you um, play, you know, if you transform into an animal that um, someone can ride, if your DM is lenient, <laughs> yeah. then you can have a uh, what, what, what was it, a rogue riding? Oh yeah, <laughs> your character, and they can actually redirect attacks from your character to themselves. Yeah, with the mounted with combat the feat, combatant feat, which does double duty for them because uh, anytime they attack um, a creature smaller than their mount, they have advantage. Right. <laughs> so, so they ride you, get sneak attacks, and then, you know, and if you're using that new ridiculous archetype of the rogue, they can do that multiple times. Yeah. Um, with, you know, any of a number of yeah, this washbuckler. Thank you. Um, and then they can also redirect attacks from you to them. I don't. I don't think it would, this washbuckler one would work though, because you have to be um, away from other party members. Oh, that's right. If you're riding the party's druid, that would not work. That's true. Yeah, you can't also be adjacent. <laughs> Maybe yeah. if they have a reach weapon? No, but then they're no, not adjacent. No. Okay. Anyway. All right. But <laughs> I mean, and there's there's tons of other things you can do besides a paladin bear. Um, you know, you could be uh, a barbarian with the bear totem. Just level three will get that for you, and then you could go the rest. Rogue, straight fighter. Is that they make good tanks? Yeah. yeah no, yeah, they're yeah. they're excellent. And don't do battle masters have some kind of taunt? I, I can't remember. Um, or, or or something that that causes the enemy to direct or attack at them. I don't think so, but no? you know it's been a while okay. since I read through all, all of right. their different. Um, I'll have to reread it. <laughs> yeah, um, I know there's the sentinel feat is a really nice option, yes. and all fighters get extra feats. So right, you know, it's easy to overlook that. I think I mentioned this once in another podcast, but like the fighter has extra feats that so you almost have to think of some of you know your favorite feats as class features of the fighter. They're just really versatile in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, sure, anybody can take it, but not everybody can afford to take it. Right. Um, so, and yeah, the fighter has a ton of different options. You know, they have all that versatility, those um, superiority dice or their increased crit range, you know, whichever. So, so whichever for someone who, who might feel that being uh, a bear paladin doesn't quite fit <laughs> for <laughs> like any rational person, or for the kind of character they're building. Well, that's, that, that's a funny thing, actually, though, because one of the. Paladin uh, oaths is uh, oath of, of the, the ancients, ancients which, which is all nature themed. No, I, I understand, and it, and it could work. It could work. I'm just saying, like, let's say that doesn't the, the flavor doesn't really work for you. Okay. Yeah, you know. it, and different strokes for different folks. Not everybody wants to, you know, be a smite bear. It is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> um, no, p- fighter is a perfectly good option. Um, you know, put on that that full plate. You're not going to get hit nearly as much as most people. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen it in you know campaign that I'm in. I feel really really squishy, not just because I have fewer hit points, but because I'm wearing I don't know plus one leather. And when people attack me, they hit me. But that guy over there with the defense style and a shield and a plus one suit of full plate, he never gets hit. Like you know they'll swing four times and hit him once. Which makes it even more ironic when they also take a heavy uh, armor master mastery. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so I mean yeah, being a fighter is a great option. They do have that extra reservoir of, of healing. Uh, and I think that's short rest, so you get a lot of mileage out of that. And then they're, um, what is it, Relentless? The thing where they get to reroll failed saves? Is oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not yeah. to be... That's pretty good. Yeah, don't, it's not to be yeah, underrated. Don't you don't know, too many of those, but I, I, yeah. It's, well, it's, it, it does scale. I think by level 17, they get like three per day. Yeah. I think it's like 9, 11, and 17 or something like that. Maybe 9, 13, and 17. 7, 11, and, and 17. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. It, you think you do start out relatively low, and then you eventually get more uses of it. But one of the things I really like about that is um, no, it's, it's you don't have to use it when you're worried you might fail. It's if you fail, you get to reroll. 
-hmm. So you only burn it when you need it. And it's also a very non-specific benefit. It doesn't say against a spell. It's whenever you fail a saving throw. Yeah. So you could be poisoned. You could be grappled. You could be you know, any of a number of awful things. You could slip, you know, and fail a deck saving throw and almost fall off that bridge. And then you're like, well, wait, 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 whoa, wait. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, sure, it's only once in a while, but, you know, you're not making catastrophic life or death saving throws all like the time. Like when you trip. Yeah, and then you pretend like nothing happened. Well, and the, <laughs> and the, the important thing to remember is that you have control over it. Right. You get to decide when you use it. Yes. Yeah, Whereas so, with a lot of other abilities, it's just you know the first time in a round, or you know the first mm -hmm. time during a sh you know between short rests. Yeah. But, there's there's all these special restrictions and uh, exceptions on it. You know, or, or that only works against a certain type of threat. Sure. This yeah. is such a a versatile. You know, cure all. It's just, it's a really right. nice option to have. I mean, your DM could be a jerk and make you make saving throws all the time, and then <laughs> <laughs> one 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 successful save doesn't mean much. But it's well, true, but I mean, it it's there when you need it. It's yeah. a, a very clutch ability to have. Um, so yeah, I think the fighter has a lot going for mm -hmm. them. So what was the original question? What's the best tank? Yeah. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> I, I think uh, Tim was uh, thinking about going with some sort of rogue barbarian hybrid. Um, oh, stacking your, your, your prison shanker. Uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> um, but basically, he wanted to stack uh, the raged uh, resistance with the rogue's uncanny dodge, which, for some weird reason, is worded differently than every other ability in the game that reduces the damage by half. Um, it doesn't yeah. give you resistance; it just reduces the damage by half, which I, is exactly what resistance does. Yeah, I, I'm, but, I'm still skeptical of that. That would actually work, given that. 5e kind of outlaws redundancy um, well, abilities. But yeah, except they're also, you know, usually, at least in core, uh, very careful with their wording. And, no, I, I know. And, you know, the, presumably they, you know, set it a specific way because they meant it to behave that way. Yeah. Hmm. So, you know, you kind of dodge the blow and it, like, glances off you, but then you're also super tough because you're a really mad barbarian. Right. Well, and and, and, and if you want to get really technical, the, the damage source that it's reducing is mm -hmm. different because one is a damage type and the other one is, is a damage from an attack. So, Yeah, that to me holds less water than just the different wording. Really? Yeah. I don't think it's... Because, I mean, you can have, like, resistance to a spell and then, you know, also have resistance against bludgeoning. And then if there's a spell that does bludgeoning damage, I wouldn't count that as two separate instances, you know, having and then quartering the damage. Oh, okay, then I, w I wouldn't accept the stacking of uh, Barbarian and Rogue uh, abilities. Ooh. <laughs> oh. Mm. All right, well. We might have to have this, this is a topic time. we'll have to explore uh, yeah. in the yeah. future, maybe. Okay. <laughs> well, for now, we'll agree to disagree. Okay. Um, anyway, um, I think that's all the time we have today. Thanks for listening. Check us out online, orclabs.com, and Twitter at orclabapps. And keep sending in those questions, guys. Yep.